morning. I'd never actually heard that song before. That was, that was beautiful. Um, I told somebody on the music committee that I had never heard the song, and they said, you're dead to me. So, <laughs> be, well, it's always good when they confess. Yeah. Uh, my name is Nate Swain. Um, I feel like I say that every time, but there are different people every week. Um, yeah, that, that, that song is beautiful. One of my favorite parts of the services are the, the, offertory, the offertory songs and the songs at the end because um, the musicians can just, just go explore different songs and there's been a number of incredibly beautiful songs that we've heard. Um, so, speaking of psalms, that song was from Psalm 40. And last week, Bill started a series over the psalms and... Um, he started with Psalm 1. Now, in your mind, if you hear beginning a series and they start with the first chapter, your fear might be, we're going to do chapter 1 the first week and then chapter 2 the second week. And we were thinking about doing that. And we figured there's probably not, maybe like 12 Psalms. But then we looked and we found that if we were to do a chapter a week, we would be doing this for the next three and a half years. So <laughs> figured we might not have employment at that point. Um, about <laughs> for this week and the next eight weeks after this, we're going to be looking at just a number of psalms that have stuck out to us. The, the psalms are so beautiful. There are, there's a huge variety of different psalms. And so the ones that, that we look at are not the only ones by all means. Um, you, you, can on, you can almost just open it to psalms and just point to one and read it and find encouragement there. Um, but this morning, I want to talk about um, waiting. Waiting is somewhat difficult. Um, I can't criticize people for being impatient because I was born in 1990, and I get impatient when waiting like a minute to heat up, you know, leftovers. <laughs> I, I was reading a book on... Uh, Adoniram Judson, who was a, a missionary in the 1900s, no, 1800s to Burma or Myanmar today, and just hearing how long it took for people from, the, from America to travel all the way to Southeast Asia, I believe that's where Burma is, it took months. And so if you were to send a letter, it wasn't like an email where you expect the person to respond to you instantly, it was, I'm going to send this letter and I will wait three, four, five, six months for that to actually get back. Um, but even today where everything is a lot faster, waiting is difficult. Waiting is hard for us. Um, but I think I want to look at a different kind of, of a different aspect of waiting. Um, I, I love um, history. I think history is super relevant. It's one of my favorite things, but for many people, um, history can be incredibly boring. So I won't do anything from history, but one of my favorite um, books slash movies is The Lord of the Rings. I've probably said this a bunch of times. And uh, if you can't relate to that, um, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help you. But in the, <laughs> in the third book, in the third movie, there is a city called Minas Tirith, and they were, they're like the, the main city of the, of the good guys, somewhat. And they had their glory days in the past, and that's somewhat fading. 
But now they look across the river to their enemies, and their enemy, who thankfully in these fantasy books, the enemies are like, you got like all fiery, and they're like evil looking. It's pretty easy to tell who the bad guys are. But their enemy is growing stronger. And as they see this enemy approaching with a giant army, ultimately coming to kill them, they realize we aren't going to be able to beat them. And so they send word to, to their friends saying, help, We're, we, can't get, uh, we can't escape this by ourselves. But as they, as they watch the enemy approach and ultimately attack their, their city, um, they defend themselves valiantly, but they realize that ultimately they can't win. The enemy is too powerful. There's nothing that they can do to escape. Um, and so they're waiting as the days go by, hoping that their deliverance will come from their, their friends. Ultimately, spoilers, the movies are 20 years old, but um, their friends do show up and um, rescue them. In Psalm 40, which is in, on page 451, I actually did check this time, um, and the Bible's in front of you, page 451, Psalm 40, gives an illustration similar to that from David. Um, David wrote a number of the, of the psalms. There were some other characters who wrote the psalms. The, the book of psalms is basically like the, the hymnal for the ancient Hebrews. Um, so we only have 150 because at, at a certain point um, they moved on to PowerPoint, and so they stopped using... <laughs> um, actually, speaking of... You all remember overhead projections? I was just thinking about that. You'd have the... the some of you may not be able to relate, but there's basically that, but you'd put these clear pieces of, of paper, I don't know what you would call it, on there, and it would shine a light, so you could see people's fingers as they would, as they would put, anyways. <laughs> so, all right, so I want to read Psalm, Psalm 40, and then we'll um, pray and dive right in. I'm just going to read the first four verses. Um, Psalm 40 is quite long, and there's a lot. Um, We're going to look at the first four verses, and then later we'll look at the rest. So Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Let's pray. Um, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come this morning um, and look at your word. I thank you for bringing everyone here this morning. Um, I confess that we may have other things on our minds, things that work hard for our attention, things that are struggles, difficulties. Um, Father, I pray that you would um, just clear those out of our mind during this next time, um, that we would be able to focus completely on um, loving you, uh, that you would open our hearts and that your spirit would work in our hearts to change us. And so that as we go home today, we would look a little bit more like you. Um, Also, I pray that you would just speak through me. In your name we pray, amen. So, Psalm 40, Psalm waiting for God, and 
this is the main idea that I kind of want you all to, to walk away with. Um, we should wait on God to deliver us. And that delivery should lead to a changed life. We should wait on God to deliver us, and that delivery should lead to a changed life. So in these first four verses, um, we see David in a precarious situation. And the first thing we see is that he is overwhelmed by some sort of trouble. Um, At the beginning, verse 1, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry, out of the miry bog. So uh, I don't know exactly what your, your, your Bibles say. Um, the beginning of verse 1 says, I waited patiently. I think I would put to you that um, this idea of, of waiting here is not, God, I'm in this bog, I'm sinking you know, I've got, I've got some time to spare, but if you, it would be nice if you would come rescue me. That, that'd, be, that'd be good. I mean, I can't breathe right now, but it would be kind of nice if you would save me. I don't think the idea is that David is patiently saying, God, it would be nice if you would save me. Um, the actual original writing basically has the word waiting twice. So the idea, many people would suggest, is that David is like, I waited and I waited and I waited for God. I waited and I waited and I waited. And the idea is not, I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs waiting for God. It's, it's a desperate waiting. David is waiting anxiously for deliverance. Why? Well, he's in the pit of destruction, a miry, a miry bog. Um, David doesn't say exactly what, what, what's going on here. Um, it could be he had homework due later that day. Or perhaps um, he was struggling with um, his children. His children um, were pretty evil people on a large scale. He had, he had his sons were killing each other. Um, I think two of them led rebellions against, against the king, one after he died. Um, David also was an adulterer. And all of these things could have been something that could have driven him down, had pulled him down, um, and made him feel overwhelmed. And so he cries out to, to God. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of Pilgrim's Progress. Um, it's a fairly old, old book. Um, I think I've read several versions. I even read a kid's version, which, which was a lot shorter. I think the real version is really long. But there's a point. There's this character named Pilgrim, which works quite nicely. Um, he's in the city, and this guy named Evangelist Pilgrim's Progress is, is a, an allegory for the Christian life. So all of these characters have names that basically represent what they are. So don't name your child evangelist or pilgrim. That would be kind of weird. But Pilgrim meets this character named Evangelist. And Evangelist gives him a book. And the book tells all about the king of the country who lives in the celestial city and about who Pilgrim is and as he reads it, he becomes more aware of this burden on his back. He hadn't noticed it before, but as he reads this, this book and, and listens to evangelists, he becomes increasingly bent over by this weight that is on his back. And it's uncomfortable, and he wants to be free of it. So evangelist tells him, there's the pathway, go through that gate and travel to the, to the celestial city. So Pilgrim leaves, 
the first thing he runs into is the slew or the slough of the spawn. Basically, people made up words back then. It's basically a, a swamp, a marsh, a bog. He comes to it, and as he attempts to cross the weight of that burden, the weight of the burden representing his sin and shame that he was becoming increasingly aware of, pushed him down into the mud, and he begins to sink. And as he tries to escape, he ends up sinking deeper. Um, I think we can all relate to that at different points in our lives where there's something that just felt overwhelming. Perhaps it is like in Kristen's case, where, or Pilgrim's case, where there was, there was sin and shame and he was just discouraged by who he was and what he had done and that threatened to hold him down and suffocate him. Perhaps there are life events, um, tragedies in your life, or consequences for previous actions that you feel cannot escape. Um, I think David experienced all of that, and I think we do, too. Um, these things in our lives that threaten to hold us down and keep us from knowing God, from following who God is. How did David respond to that? Verse 1 says that God heard his cry in the swamp as he's sinking, as he's, as he's being suffocated by this, this evil. His response was not, I swam harder. I struggled to get out. Rather, he called out to God and said, help me. I can't do this. And God responded. So David responded to being overwhelmed by crying out for God. And God then responded to David's cry by coming to his delivery, coming to his rescue. Verse 2 says, He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. Um, we sang the song, uh, King of My Heart. And the chorus of that is, you are good. And it's repeated a number of times. And I think what's interesting is, that is one of the hardest things for us to remember, that God is good. That no matter how small we might be, or unimportant, um, he cares for us, and he wants to know us. Um, David cries out to God in the midst of this, this trouble, and God responds and drags him out of the swamp, out of the danger, out of the trouble. Um, that's what he wants to do for us. But he doesn't just want to take us out of the trouble, because then if you pull somebody out, the odds are they might just fall right back in. But rather, what does he do? He sets David's feet upon a rock, making his steps secure. Um, footing is, is, is very important. I am not a, a fighter. I've never been in a fight in my life. But I have been told that 
good footing, good stance is important. So if any of y'all are brawlers and, you know, get in fights in Sunday school, um, you, can, you can tell me if that's true. But I've, I've been told that, that having a good stance is important. As a matter of fact, if you watch Bill's games, sometimes um, the quarterback will take the snap and immediately he'll get sacked. Why? Because his offensive lineman forgot to get his feet set. And so the defender just went, whoop, and just shoved him over and walked right through. Your footing is, is important, where you stand. Um, two years ago, I was down in Kentucky, and I had an experience that was somewhat embarrassing. Um, it was hot. Kentucky summers are a lot hotter. They get hotter fast. Um, we don't have that, like, two months of just rain when it's supposed to be warm. And I was sweaty and sticky every day, and I just got tired of it, and I wanted to go get so a friend of mine said, let's go to Kentucky Kingdom, Kentucky Kingdom, which was basically our resident amusement park. And so they had water rides and all of that. And so we went, and there was a wave pool. Now, wave pools, basically it's a pool where there's a wave generator that makes giant waves. And the fun part is you wait for the wave, and at the last second you jump, and the wave will carry you, and you feel like you're, um, you're surfing on the water. The problem is, with that is if you are an adult, you are larger than some of the other people that are in the pool. There's little kids. Um, there's, there's younger people. Um, and I've heard also that parents don't like seeing their child crushed by, <laughs> you know, big guys. And so in order to compensate for that, you have to move to the deeper end of the pool. Basically, the water will push the kids to the shallower end, so I, I moved to the deeper, and the problem was I moved too deep, and suddenly I couldn't touch the bottom. Now, that's not a problem if you can swim, but the problem is in order to, in order to go surfing in, in the, the wave pool, you have to be able to jump, push off and jump up on the wave and ride it. Otherwise, every time you bob to the top, the next wave comes down on top of you. Um, the purpose of that is to share every time that wave would come, it would rip my feet out from underneath me, and I would go underneath. So if you're watching this, you would see this adult man drowning <laughs> in a wave pool. Um, God didn't take us, doesn't take us out of troubles just to leave us to drown in it. Um, this has a multitude of, of meanings. Um, David is rescued from this, this mire, this bog, and God puts him on solid ground. And not only does the ground offer safety, but it offers direction. Pilgrim is taken out of the slough, out of the swamp, and he lands and he sees the path. There's the path. That is where I need to go. And when God offers delivery, <laughs> offers rescue, he does so that we will be able to continue serving him like he intends, like we were made to do. It doesn't make sense to be rescued and then to be like, well, I actually like the swamp. I'm going to jump back in. Sometimes we forget that we are safe on the solid ground. So, perhaps, perhaps you find yourself in that problem right now. There's something in your life that is overwhelming, that, that seeks to drown you. Uh, perhaps you are experiencing God's deliverance now. Maybe you're seeing that in your life currently. Um, 
But what about if you have seen that a number of times in your life in the past? What if you have seen uh, you were overwhelmed by your own shame and your own guilt of, of who you were before God and he came and rescued you and pulled you out and set you on a new path? How do we respond? Verses 3 and 4 and onward are very helpful. Um, I would say that there are four ways that a life that has been delivered from that can respond. First, a life that has been delivered will be characterized by thankfulness. Verse 3 of Psalm 40, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We just sang the, uh, the song up here. And what did he say over and over? There was a new song in his mouth. No longer was he looking at the, the problems around, but now he could see that he had been delivered. Um, verse 5 says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Verse 10, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The first response to this is to be characterized by thankfulness. I think I've probably talked about this a lot because being thankful is always is difficult for me. Um, it's easy to get focused on the negative things around us. Um, but David says, you rescued me, I'm going to tell everybody. It's like, have you ever known somebody who became part of some group? Maybe they started selling something and they just, they saw it happening in their own life and they got so excited by the effects in their own life that they just started telling everybody and every time you were with them, they were trying to sell this product to you. Well, that's how David is. He has seen his deliverance, and he said, this guy fixed my life, and now I'm going to tell everybody around until they are irritated by me. So the second thing is a life that has been delivered will be humble. Verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. David says, blessed is the one who looks to God to rescue him. Notice when God pulled him out of the, of the, the swamp, there was nothing that David could have done in that spot. Um, sometimes when I am in a similar spot, my first response is, I need to go distract myself. Or I need, to go, I need to go work harder at something to get myself out. And maybe that'll work for a time. But ultimately, that's me just swimming harder trying to get out of the quicksand. And David says, blessed is the one who looks to God. The problem with that is when you look to somebody else to save you, you're ultimately saying, I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. And that's hard, because we want to be strong. So not only will we be thankful and humble, but we'll have a desire to obey God from the heart. 
Verse 6 and 7 say, In sacrifices and offerings you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Explain that in a second. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written to me, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. So David says, you are not concerned about my sacrifices. In the, the Old Testament system, sacrifices were a way of, of appeasing God. And David says, you don't want sacrifices. What you want is me to obey you from the heart. You want me to desire to obey you. Um, in verse 6, it says, you have given me an open ear. Um, another way of, of that, that that could be translated is you have dug out my ears. Um, my grandfather, some of you may have known them, um, was notorious when we'd be having family dinners together. He would be at the end of the table. And at some point, conversation would be happening, but the sound waves, I think, would stop going in his ears and would just kind of like go by. And so he would forget who we were talking about. And so he would say, who? Just that was, that was it, who? And my mom and my uncle, who is not here right now, um, would respond, dig out your ears. David says, I finally realize what it is that you want. You don't want ritual. You don't want sacrifice. You have delivered me so that I will follow you with my whole heart. Lastly, someone who has been delivered by God will look to God the next time those trials come. We see in verses 11 and 12 that David has been delivered, but trials, as they tend to, come again. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make help, make haste to help me. The, the problems that David may have been delivered from one evil, and there's another one ready to get him. But this time, again, he looks to God to deliver. At the end of the psalm, look how, listen how he ends. Verse 17, As for me, I am poor and needy but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh God. David ends by looking to God, saying, God, this is coming again. Help. Deliver me from this. And so the the cycle continues where we need deliverance from a variety of things. So the question today is, is what, what do you need deliverance from? And who are you looking to deliver? Um, I think whoever is the most spiritual person in here would say that they require deliverance on a daily basis. It doesn't go away.
David, whatever his reasoning, whatever it was in this specific circumstance, he experienced deliverance from a number of things. Um, he writes about his sin. At some point, he must have realized that he was sinful and dirty before God. And he was delivered from that. And he was considered a man after God's own heart, the king to which all other kings were compared to. And yet, even after that, he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was an idolater. And he needed deliverance many, many times. In the story of Pilgrim's Progress, um, the character Pilgrim continues his journey, and he comes to this enormous hill, and he starts to climb it. The path leads right up. And as he does it, the burden on his back becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. And it's hard. The weight of that is pulling him down. Then he gets to the top. And he sees a cross. And as he stands before the cross, the burden, the thing that had weighed him down, the thing that had driven him into the marsh, began to loose and fall away. And it rolled down the hill, crashing into a pit below to be gone forever. Um, and as he looked ahead, he could see the path continuing. The path didn't end at that point for him. And neither does it for us. But now, he had experienced deliverance from his biggest need, and as he walked forward, his legs felt stronger. He felt faster. There was that, that hindrance of that sin and that shame was gone. And I don't obviously know where everyone is. Sometimes I don't even know where, where I am day to day, what struggles we all have. But if, if you feel like pilgrim here, where you, you look at your life and you feel weighed down by the guilt of what you've done or, or the shame of, of who you are, and you say, man, this is so hard, God wants to deliver you. Romans 10.13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he wants to offer freedom from that, deliverance from that. But perhaps you've known God, you have a relationship with him, you've talked to him, and yet you've seen hard times come. Perhaps the consequences of your own actions, or perhaps Tragedies or life events just want to crush you and hold you down and keep you from serving God the way that you've been created to do so. Um, David experienced that many times, and yet he called out to God. And guess what? God answered. Um, today, in front of us, we have um, these bread and juice and these are not just here for um, a quick snack before going on to lunch. 
Um, at some point, God offered the ultimate deliverance to humanity. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came down. And on the night before he died, the night before he died, he looked at his, his best friends and he said, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. God, in human body, died. <coughs> and then he took cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. No longer are animal sacrifices going to appease God. Now my blood is going to cover your sins forever. And just like Pilgrim's sin and burden fell off his back, when Jesus died and offered that gift to us, he offers freedom from our sin. And so if that is you today, I pray that you would take advantage of that gift before coming up here. This is a remembrance of what Jesus has done. And if you have a relationship and you have seen that, that first great deliverance that leads to other deliverances, just remember what God has done for you. And think, what, 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 is, what do I need to call out to God for today? Where am I trying to swim my way out of this and how can I look to him to deliver me in the future? Um, so let's pray and then you may come forward.